BGC fam, this is interesting times that we're in. Last week, I did a first. I preached an, a message into an empty auditorium. This week, another first. I'm preaching into an empty living room. And actually, honestly, there's a few people sitting here with me. But I'm preaching and being recorded on photo booth. And it just seems so surreal. But I'm praying and we have prayed that the Lord would use this. The cocoons that COVID-19 has created for us seem so surreal and more surreal by the day. Family, we are in an unprecedented moment in history, which is all the more reason why we as pastors consider it crucial that we really preach and speak into this moment. And my hope is that we, when we emerge from these cocoons, that we'll look, and, we'll look back and say we lived with confidence in God to get through this crisis. I think that's the opportunity that's before us. No doubt we're facing the challenge of this crisis, but it comes with opportunities. The opportunity to, is to reinterpret this challenge as a chance to really rely on the Holy Spirit, to rely on God, to give us confidence through crisis, a confidence that we could never muster in ourselves, that Jesus would really make a difference in our lives and in the communities that we live in, that our theology would function for us. No doubt, all of us are experiencing fear in some way. Amy and I walking around the neighborhood just the other day, we spoke with a neighbor who was really, really distraught visibly fearful and and telling us likening it to the AIDS epidemic in Philadelphia when he lost so many of his friends just experiencing a terrifying fear another family uh, living uh, we heard of who was living in a, a twin home uh, whose neighbors are optometrists they've actually had to shut their business down they're consumed with worry they had an outburst of panic when they discovered that their kids from both families were out on the porch together. Now, these are friendly people. They, they have a friendship, but, but it, it created fear for them as they thought their kids might be passing the virus back and forth. And so a schedule for porch use was created. COVID has surfaced fears in all of us. And the reason why is because we're so used to being in control. We think we actually control things and we're anxious and we're worried because we don't accept the idea of the strength of an invisible microbe. Those microbes have manifested some fears from deep within us. Fears that we didn't know existed until the COVID crisis hit. Fears that we didn't even know were in there. So the question I want to ask this week is how do we deal with fear? Does the Bible actually have anything to say about our fears? How can we live with confidence in God when we're dealing with fear? The Bible actually speaks a lot about fear. If you read your Bible through the lens of fear, you'll see that it occurs over and over and over again. In fact, you'll find some version of the phrase, do not be afraid, in the Bible over 300 times. 300 times, don't be afraid. And one of those places where you'll see fear addressed is in the Gospel of John, which is what we're going to look at now. 
where we're going to look contains a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. It's found in chapter 16, and we're going to look specifically at verse 33. But the conversation has included Jesus saying some things that are really troubling to the disciple, but then it's to the disciples, but then he peppers these very troubling things with incredibly inspiring things and encouraging thoughts. He keeps talking about troubles that are coming. He keeps saying he's going to leave them, which is in itself a very troubling thought to them, but he keeps telling them he's going to send somebody else. He keeps referring to the helper, capital H helper, that he's going to send. And he's promising to transform all the sorrows that they experience in this life into joy. And near the end of the conversation, these disciples that have been so dull throughout the, the entirety of John's gospel, they determine that they are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and that they really understand it. They even thank him. They basically say, thanks. You're not speaking in parables anymore. Thanks for giving it to us straight, Jesus. You're talking to us straight. Now we believe. It's almost like this cocky confidence that they have. And Jesus' response to them is, is, is something like a startled sarcasm. And that's where we're going to pick it up right here. John 16. And we're going to focus on verse 33, but I want to, I want to start in verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. And will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live with confidence in you through crisis. I pray that you would help us to contemplate your reign and your rule over our lives, that you would help us to contemplate your love and your mercy, that you would help us to love you, that we might learn to love others, that you would help us to stay connected to one another during this time of isolation, that you would help us to care for one another as a practical expression of our confidence in you. Help us to understand our fears that they may function the way you intend them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to focus on the second part of verse 33, where Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. Some translations say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're eavesdropping on a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. The disciples here function as our representatives. So whatever Jesus says to them, he says to us. Whatever Jesus says to disciples, he says to you. 
And in one sweeping sentence, Jesus gives us so much to think about. I was putting this sermon together and I've, I, I'm, I want to be able to, to deliver this, to spit this out in a way that you're going to be able to understand. But there is so much here just in one sentence that the Lord has given us. May the Holy Spirit provide each one of you with what you need from his word today. Basically, though, this is what Jesus is saying. All Christians, all believers will face trouble in this life, but they will have God as their great resource. Everyone's going to face trouble. All Christians will face trouble in this, in this life, but they will have God as their great resource. And he speaks two independent thoughts here, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's one thought. Then he joins that with the conjunction, but, B-U-T. In this world, you will have trouble, but, then he gives us another thought. Take heart. Then he tells us, I have overcome the world. Take heart. We're going to over, overcome these troubles, church. We're going to overcome the trial and the crisis of COVID-19. Take heart, he says. We're going to overcome every tribulation, every trial, every worry, every anxiety, every fear. Why? Because the second thought is he has overcome the world. The question we should ask ourselves whenever we look at Scripture is what's the claim? When I, when I claim something as mine, when I make a claim, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing hold of it. So the question you're asking is, what is the scripture grabbing hold of? What is, what's the claim that God is making on us? Another way of saying it is, what's the main point? What am I supposed to do? We should always ask that about the scriptures. And it's really clear. It's right, it's right there, guys. What's the main point? Take heart. That's what he's telling us to do. Be strong. Be courageous. Be confident in the face of your fears. Get a hold of yourselves. Take heart. How do we do that? How do we take heart? How do we take heart in the crisis of COVID-19? That's what we want to examine. We want to look at what this scripture says, because I think the scripture answers this question. How do we take heart? The first thing we do is we acknowledge the reality of fear. We have to acknowledge the reality of fear. So if you, if you want to be courageous in the face of crisis, and the first thing you got to do is what Jesus says right here to the disciples. We got to acknowledge the reality of fear. Now, I want to, I want to I'll just tell you that, that Ed Welch, he's a Christian psychologist and a counselor. He wrote a short article on fear that I read to Amy this week. I've read it numerous times, and it's really helped me and really influenced this message. And he, he talks a lot about acknowledging the reality of fear. But Jesus acknowledges it, right? He says right here, in the world, you will have trouble. That's Jesus acknowledging the reality of trouble. There are a lot of people in life that are living as if you can, you can live a life free of trouble. That you can live a life free of anxiety. You can live a life free of fear. Even Christian pastors that might say you shouldn't have fear because you have faith. If you have faith, you're not going to fear anything. Jesus is in total disagreement. Jesus is saying that in this world, you will have trouble. I don't like it. You don't like it. But that's what he says. In this trouble, we, we, in this world, we will have tribulation. 
In this world, we will have fears. In this world, we will have anxiety. The scriptures affirm that fear is everywhere. That's why the psalmist always talks about how he's going to trust God in his fear. Psalm 56, 3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Even in regular daily life, apart from a historical crisis like this is, church, when we emerge from this, we are going to emerge changed. We are going to emerge different. But even in regular daily life, apart from a historical crisis, fears lurk everywhere. We just don't always see them. A crisis, though, a crisis can expose your fears that you didn't know were there. Fears that have laid quiet in the background of our lives are now loud and right in the forefront. They're dominating. Fear is a part of what it means to be human. That's why, that's why I must believe that the Bible says don't be afraid over 300 times because God knows how we're made. God knows how fearful we are, and he addresses it more than 300 times. Fear tells us things that we don't like to hear. Fear tells us you're powerless. Fear tells us that you're weak. Fear tells us trouble ahead. And there's not a lot that you can do about it. Fear makes us feel helpless. And most of the time, our fears are right. Now, they, they might not be spot on, and usually they're not. Sometimes the things we fear, we exaggerate in our minds. We make them greater than they are. We blow them. Our fears are oftentimes blown out of proportion. And fears don't certainly don't tell the whole story accurately, but they are generally correct. What are they correct at saying? What Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. Our fears are everywhere. Even those who might say, you know what? I'm not really that fearful. Even during this crisis, you might be one of those people that say, yeah, man, I... I ain't, afraid of, I ain't afraid of COVID. Even though you might say you're not that fearful, you are. And it's because we define fear as the person shivering in the corner. And fear manifests itself in thousands of ways. You might enjoy lying to yourself that you have no fears, but you disagree with Jesus when he says, in this world, you will have things to fear. Jesus says there's things in this world that are going to make you fear. Fearful. Fear hides in our language. It lurks underneath words like, I'm really stressed. I'm really worried. I'm feeling anxious. My nerves are shot. A lot of parents with nerves that are shot become instant homeschoolers. You feel pressure. Fears can be underlying. You feel like you're on edge. You feel like you're jittery. These are all words that are indicative of fear lying beneath them. You can identify your fear in your emotions or your feelings. If you feel guilty, you fear judgment. If you feel shame, you fear being exposed. If you feel angry, that's just fear with some fight left in it. We often think of fear as the person who's freezing. And, 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 and immobilize. But fear fights at times. Some of your most fearful moments might be moments of angry outburst. If you feel depressed, that's fear. It's fear that's given up. Depression is a fear that says, today seems dark, it seems gloomy, it seems unbearable, and when I think about tomorrow, it's even worse. 
fear manifests itself in addictions. If you struggle with an addiction, you're fearful too. If you look deeply at an addiction, you'll find, uh, you'll find a fear in, in manifesting in an effort to distract you from your troubles, to anesthetize us from bad feelings or a mind that's gone haywire. My prayer, my prayer is that we would emerge from this COVID crisis more dependent on Jesus than we are on anything else. But you know what COVID could do to some even listening right now? It could make you more dependent upon things that you don't want to be dependent upon. You, you, we don't want to say, church, we don't want to emerge more dependent on alcohol than we are on Jesus. We don't want to emerge more dependent on food than we are on Jesus, more dependent on the security that drugs would give us than we are the feeling that drugs would give us. We don't want to become more dependent on Netflix than we are on Jesus. We don't want to become more dependent, here's one for you, more dependent on religion than we are on a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people getting religious right now, thinking they can stop COVID if they say a certain amount of prayers every day. That's not confidence, that's ritual, that's, that's religion. Real confidence comes from a relationship with Jesus. My prayer is that we'll emerge from COVID with a deeper relationship with Jesus, a deeper confidence in Him. We might wish all of our fears are way, but fears are not all bad. Fear is not all bad. Fear actually functions to warn us of danger. Sometimes our kids get scared of things that they should be scared of, and it helps them. But fear's greatest good, fear's greatest good is that it reminds us of how small and weak we are and how much we need Jesus. Isn't it distressing, startling, even ironic that what has struck fear in the hearts of so many Americans and so many people across the world, more in this generation, has probably struck more fear in this generation than any other thing we've ever encountered. And what has done it is something that's invisible, something that's microscopic. Nothing has bullied us like microbes. Jesus told us in this world, you'll face coronaviruses and you'll be fearful. And our fears are intended to remind us of how weak we are and how much we need Jesus. Independence and security, which, which Americans and American Christians tend to we, we pride ourselves on our independence. We pride ourselves on our security. Even when we don't intend to pride ourselves on those things, we are, in, we are proud of our independence and our security and what we've been able to secure on our own. But independence and security are deadly myths apart from Christ. We, were, we have thought that we were in control in more ways than we really are. And COVID has revealed it, hasn't it? Fear, fear though, makes us dependent on Jesus. 
The Savior God has provided the world is Jesus, and the fears that we're confronting give us this opportunity to see the reality of fear and our smallness and our weakness that we might cast ourselves on Jesus and find him to be a great Savior in the midst of our crisis. Independence is death. Dependence is life. Independence apart from Christ is death, but dependence upon Christ is life. Let your fears drive you to Jesus. Cast yourself upon him. That's the intent of our fears. And I really believe, I believe, Brandywine Grace, that that we have this incredible opportunity that COVID is giving us. No doubt we're experiencing trouble, we're experiencing pain, but there's this incredible opportunity. And, and you ask, well, what is it? Well, I'll say one of, one of the things, one of the incredible opportunities we have is we have a lot more time on our hands. And we could spend that time digging into God's Word. And in digging into God's Word, we'll find some things for our souls because we're fearful. Let me put it another way. You stand to get more out of your Bible now than you did a month ago, a year ago. How is that? Because you didn't read your Bible last month, last year, through the lens of your fears. If you read the Bible through the lens of your fears, you're going to start getting some things out of it. I read this guy, Brad Watson, said something really that just really struck me. He said, one reason we've struggled to connect with the scriptures in the West is that they're written in the texture of suffering and we don't know anything about it. So, so he's saying that in the West, in America, we have struggled to, to connect with our Bibles because they're written through the lens of suffering and we don't understand it. What does the Bible have to say? What does it say to the comfortable, to the in control, to the improving? Not much that we want to hear. What does it say? What does the Bible say to the suffering, to the weak, to the sick, to the powerless, to the helpless, to the people that are stuck, to the people that are fear? It says everything. May the Spirit direct our hearts during this crisis to truth and through the lens of suffering, may we find something for our souls that we never would have found otherwise. Amen. I pray that that's true for you. It's certainly true for me in these days. So we're talking about what, what, what can we learn from this passage and how do we take heart? How do we take heart in the crisis of COVID? And I said the first thing was we got to acknowledge the reality of our fear. And that's what the scripture told us right up, right up front. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we've got to acknowledge the reality of our fear. And I think there's some peace and some, uh, there's some, there's a calming effect, I think, if you will acknowledge your fears before the Lord. If you will just say, Lord, make a list of them in a journal and start praying them out. Lord, I'm fearful of this. Lord, I'm fearful of this. Lord, I'm fearful of this. You said in this world I will have trouble, and here's the troubles. List them and then tell the Lord. You're just acknowledging the reality of fear, I think, will have a therapeutic effect on a lot of our souls. So we acknowledge the reality of fear. That's how we take our... But what do we do next? What do we do after we acknowledge the reality of fear? We can't stop there. we got to continue on with the verse. What else does, was, does Jesus say? He says, 
In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the second point I want to make, how do we take heart? First, we acknowledge our fears. Second, we allow fear to function the way God intends. We allow our fears to function, to work the way God intends them to work. So in other words, if God is saying that we are going to have fear, then he must have function in those things. He must want fear to function for us. How does God intend fear to function for us? Well, let me ask you that question another way. What does Jesus say to the disciples after he guarantees that they're going to face fear in this world? He says, take heart. You don't have to be afraid. Don't let COVID disarm you. Don't let it confiscate your confidence. Get a hold of yourselves. Take heart. So the question we should ask is, why, Jesus? Why can you say that to us? How, Jesus? How do we take heart? How can we take heart in the midst of these circumstances? Jesus, everything seems to be falling apart. Have you seen my 401k, Jesus? Have you seen the, the economic forecast for the world, for our economy? Have you seen the predictions about the, de the depression and the recession that we could be confronting? Jesus, this, this trial that has my kids at home, maybe for the rest of the school year, means that me or my husband can't go back to work. How is this going to work? How can I take heart in light of this? Jesus, what if I lose my job? How are we going to pay our mortgage? How are we going to pay for things? How are we going to eat? If this thing just keeps spreading, Jesus, my fears and my anxieties are going to increase. How can you say to me, take heart? If you just say take heart, but you give me no reason for why I should take heart, then that's going to be hard for me. But Jesus never leaves you there. Jesus never calls you to do something that he doesn't show you how to do it. Jesus never calls you to do anything that he doesn't provide himself as the solution and the answer. How, Jesus? How can we take heart? It's right here, church. What's our reason? Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to you, I have overcome the world. How can you face your fears? Knowing that Jesus has overcome all of your fears. He's overcome all of the world. He's overcome every trial that would ever confront us. He's overcome everything that would cause you to fear. He's succeeded in defeating every problem, every difficulty that you'll ever face. Jesus has prevailed over every problem. The Latin for overcome is ex supero, ex super. It means exceedingly surpass. It means... Uh, Surpass exceedingly, surpass exceedingly. So, but take heart, I have surpassed exceedingly everything that the world could throw at you. Your problems are big, Jesus would say. He'd agree with you. Your problem is big. Coronavirus, he's not belittling coronavirus. It's big, but he's saying my overcoming power is infinitely bigger than coronavirus. Take heart, take heart. This is what he calls us to, church. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I have taken everything that it can throw at me, and I have come forth victorious. Jesus crushed his enemies under his feet by his own blood. 
It isn't because Jesus doesn't call us to some kind of man-centered deal with your fears, man up. He doesn't. It's not because we have power to beat the world or to beat our fears back or to overcome in our own strength. We don't. It's because Jesus overcame the world for us. It's because Jesus overcame the world for you that you can have confidence in him. So I'll ask the question, how is fear supposed to function in your life? Jesus said fear is a reality. Then he said, take heart. Well, how, does, how do you allow fear to function in your life? You recognize your fears, you acknowledge your fears, and you let them do something. What are they intended to do? Drive you to Jesus. Drive you to Jesus. Your fears are, 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 should be causing you to fly to Jesus, to run to Jesus, to, to drive you to Jesus. We overcome our fears, church, as they drive us to Jesus. But church, let's be sure of this. Let's be sure of something. Let's be sure of this truth. Overcoming is not something we do for Jesus. It's something we do by Jesus. That's, that's huge. Did you hear what I just said? I just I used two little words to differentiate that whole sentence. Overcoming. God has called us, Brandywine Grace, to be overcomers. We're called to overcome through Jesus, in Jesus. We don't overcome anything for Jesus. We can't do it apart from Jesus. We are overcomers, and it's something that we do in Jesus. Church, we have to get that straight. When fear functions rightly, it drives you to Jesus. And when it drives you to Jesus, you learn and you hear Jesus speak beautiful and attractive words to fearful people. That's what he's doing with the disciples in this text. And over and over, when you confront fears in the Bible, you'll see the Bible speaking beautiful, attractive, comforting words to those in fear. When you're fearful, don't expect rebuke from Jesus. Now, let me just qualify that. Let me put a little parenthesis around that. God may be convicting you of some things that are important in your life right now. Confession and repentance is always important in the, in the Christian life. And so if the Spirit of God is convicting you as I'm preaching or convicting you in this season, you should, you should go to him in repentance, turn from whatever you've been trusting in, repent and believe the gospel and trust in Christ. But when you're experiencing fear, you can expect compassion and comfort from Jesus. So many times the angels appear to people in the scripture. God appears and the first thing he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He speaks words of encouragement and comfort and compassion to the fearful. So if COVID-19 is manifesting all kinds of fears in your life, let them drive you to Jesus, drive you to Jesus and from Jesus receive comfort and compassion. Fearful people are in a position to cherish Christ. Fearful people get Jesus because the fears drive us to him. Fearful people get the good news. But the person who says, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm not fearful. Well, guess what? You miss out on what the fearful get. The fearful, the ones that acknowledge the reality of the troubles that they're facing, they turn to Christ and they get Christ. 
and they get compassion and they get his grace. But if you're one of those people that says, no, nah, not me, go ahead and pass that on to some, pass the good news on to somebody who needs it. Because I'm not the fearful type. You're not going to get any of this overcoming stuff until you let your deep fears drive you to Jesus. Then you get Jesus and his overcoming power. When fears drive us to Jesus, we have to remember something. We remember that what he's saying here is he's sovereign over all of our tomorrows, which means we can live for him today. If Jesus rules over everything and he says, I've overcome the world, then he's overcome all the problems that we'll face tomorrow. That means I can live for Jesus today. Church, you with me? We can live for Jesus in the midst of this crisis today. When our fears drive us to Jesus, he reminds us that he's given us something. And chapter 16 is full of the content of this. The Lord has given us his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives us power to take small steps, even in the midst of our fears, steps of obedience that are practical expressions of our confidence in God to care for us and even to connect with others during this crisis. Just before I preached, or just before I yeah, got up to, to, to do this, I got a, a, a text message from Dave Sharp, and it, it brought me to tears. This week, many of you know, we created, uh, we set aside money in our budget. We reconfigured our budget, set aside money for benevolence so that we could be good first to the partners of Brandywine Grace, and then we wanted to be good to the community. We wanted to connect and care for the community. We wanted to connect and care for our partners who were in need. And so we set up a food distribution night. We bought groceries. We set up a food distribution night for the partners on Thursday night and then this morning for the community. Seven partners came on Thursday night and were able to get their very practical needs met, food and household products. Today, 36 families showed up at Brandywine Grace Church. 30 of them left their contact information asking they'd like to be informed if we did anything more that would be expressions of mercy. Over and over, Dave said, this is all he heard, our neighbors saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. This is amazing. This is so kind of you. People submitting prayer cards. Dave said dozens of booklets. He put booklets out from CCF, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, on anxiety and fear. And people just taking the booklets. They're fearful distributed close to $3,000 worth of food and household products to the community and to partners this week. One neighbor didn't, one neighbor to the church didn't want to, to, didn't need anything, but was so blown away that they bought a whole carload of groceries, brought it over to the church this morning saying this, what you're doing, this thing you're doing is amazing, and my family just wants to be a part of it. So they donated a whole carload of groceries. BGC volunteers were excited and serving. Uh, some partners in Brandywine Grace Church have, have contributed an additional $5,000 this week so that we can keep on doing this. Church, 
Do you see what's happening? If we face our fears and overcome our fears in Christ, we let our fears drive us to Jesus, we're going to look and act different than the world. We're not going to be hoarding things for ourselves. We're going to have an open hand. We're going to actually give to those that are in need. How can we live with confidence in God? How can, we, how can we believe in a Jesus that allows us to act this way towards our community? We just decided we're going to do it again this, this coming Saturday. We're sending another flyer out this week. We're going to do it again this Saturday. Thank you to all of you that helped to pull that off. Thank you for your willingness to confront your fears and to step out into the community to meet the needs, the very real needs of people. Let me just give you two small little do's and don'ts when we're dealing with our fears. I think these are important. Two do's and don'ts. Don't do things. Number one, let me give you a don't. Don't do things that agitate your fear. Don't do things that actually tempt you to be fearful. I read a blog this week by a just a smart guy named Seth Godin. <laughs> Some rich insights in the blog, but he was saying this. He was saying that panic loves company. So he was using this, this analogy that if you're on a crowded plane and one person starts freaking out because of the turbulence, the panic, if it's just one person, the panic will eventually peter out. But if seven people, seven or eight people on a plane start freaking out because of the, the turbulence, the freaking out and the fear will spread. Fear spreads quickly. Panic spreads, spreads quickly. Calm is a damping agent, but it doesn't spread as fast as fear. Twitter has been engineered to maximize panic. Cable news has discovered that panic and fear is a great way to make profit. It's a great way to make money. People are profiting off of our fears. People are profiting off of your fears. Panic is amplified through most forms of social media. Calm, calmness is penalized. So I want to give you these. I took these right from Seth Godin, but think about this. If you don't want to agitate your fears, you should, in his words, curate your incoming. What does that mean? He means be selective about what you take in. Be careful who you spend time with. You can't spend time with many people, but you can spend a lot of time with people on social media. So you should be curating that. You should be creating a gateway so that what you want comes through and what you doesn't want doesn't come through. Is your circle consist of a lot of people amplifying panic or are your primary influences having a calming presence on you? Stay off of Twitter and recognize this as well. Seth Godin said this. I think, it's, I think it's important for us. Being up to date on the news is a trap and a sham. He says five minutes a day is all you need. Now, some of you are spending a lot more than five minutes a day on the news. And some of you get upset with me for saying you should only do that for five minutes. Okay, 10. Okay, 15. The question that I'm saying is, uh, how, much, how does your time spent in news compared to your time spent in the Bible? How much time does your, does your time spent listening to the news and reading in the news compare to the time spent meditating on the promises of God, which bring calmness and help us to have confidence in the face of our fears? So that's the don't. Don't do things that agitate your fears and do things that relieve your fears. You should do things that calm your fears. God has slowed us down, church, significantly. So one of the words I'm using to, to describe what we should be doing this, 
doing with this time is contemplation. God's given us time to think about things. So allow for some time of biblical contemplation. Spend more time in the scriptures because there calm will come upon you. That will instill confidence. That will relieve your fears. Run to Jesus and less to social media. Run to Jesus and less to the news. He'll turn our fears into faith. He'll turn our troubles into opportunities to trust. He'll turn our sorrows into joyful security. Church, Jesus has overcome the world. We can take heart. Let me encourage you. I read something this week that I found extremely helpful. Let me encourage you to do something this week. When you get up tomorrow, I want you to do three things. First, stretch. You do that anyway. When you get up in the morning, most of us stretch. Stretch. That gets the body going. Smile. That gets the soul in the right attitude. Don't begin the day grumbling. A frown gets the day grumbling. And then say to yourself this truth. God loves me. That gets the spirit right. Stretch, smile, and say, God loves me. Because what you're doing there is you're reminding yourself of your identity. Body, soul, and spirit, you're starting the day right. Stretch, smile, and say, God loves me. In this way, you can, you can deal with the fears that are all around you and take heart, allowing those fears to drive you to Jesus. Amen, church. Praying for you. Lord, bless you and keep you this week. Grace and peace until we meet again, either virtually or I can't wait until we meet again in person. Amen.